I'm going to read our lectionary reading from the Psalter. It's a reading from Psalm 23. And of course, this is such a beautiful poetic prayer. So I invite you to posture yourself to receive some poetry this morning. God, you are my shepherd. I want nothing more. You let me lie down in green meadows. You lead me beside restful waters. You refresh my soul. You guide me to lush pastures for the sake of your name. Even if I'm surrounded by shadows of death, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they give me courage. You spread a table for me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house, God, for days without end. We hear the voice of God in these words. So, Psalm 23, this spectacularly beautiful poem speaks from an embodied knowledge of divine presence. It is a presence that sustains us as we face the realities of our lives and the realities of the world. It is not an escape. It sustains us in the midst of things here and now. When I read this text, I feel held. I am reminded that I am held in God's loving, ever-present embrace. But then I step out my front door. <laughs> but then I get on social media. But then I read the news. But then I wake up to injustice and equality and suffering all around me. But then I remember, oh, I've deconstructed my faith. <laughs> and how can somebody feel held when so much has been torn down, when so much is in shambles? Where is Psalm 23 in these times and in this faith paradigm? And it reminds me of a poem that I wrote many years ago now, and I'd like to share it with you now as an offering because it's a reflection on Psalm 23. And it is called, O Divine Shepherd, How? Divine Shepherd, how am I to rest in you when I can't see you, when I don't feel you? How am I to follow you when from this valley I don't see or feel much of anything? How can I know your way of peace, your way of rest, your way of life? How can I let go of fear and drop these bags of burdens I bear, knowing comfort isn't always hopeful, nor is hope guaranteed a comfort? How do I make this singed grass sing, notes both soft and green? How do these choppy waters turn quiet and still a calming balm to my soul? How do I know which of these grown up and over paths is right for goodness sake, or as the verse says, for your name's sake? How? 
O divine shepherd, like the lost lamb I am, carry me. Now, this is a younger me, but I'm riding with eyes wide open early on in my faith deconstruction journey. In so many ways, I'm feeling lost, unsure of how to proceed. And when I wrote it, what came to mind was the shepherd looking for that one lost sheep, that lost sheep so precious, so valuable. And also the image of the shepherd bringing her home, not just bringing her home, carrying her, holding her. And it's interesting to me that no matter where I've been on my faith journey, where I've landed theologically, whether or not I'm in a season of faith wrestling or doubt or peace with the unknown, I always find myself coming back to this prayer of God, hold me in your truth. God, hold me in your truth. And even though I don't know much of anything and I tend to have more questions than answers when it comes to things of faith. I know this, that God has come through on this prayer. I can't explain it, but I know it. I believe it. Easter people are held. We are wrapped up in divine love. We are wrapped up in the mystery of hope. We are wrapped up in God's truth. And we don't always have to understand it for it to be true just because, right? There are so many things we don't understand or can't fully explain anyway. We don't really know how to fully explain love. We don't always know how to explain our feelings. They don't always make sense to us. It doesn't make them untrue. We are held. And I believe that a primary way in which we can tune into this divine embrace is through regular and consistent spiritual practice, the nourishment of our Imago Dei. And I want you to know, I know what it feels like here, y'all, in this place beyond deconstruction. I know what it feels like too. We are liberated in so many ways, yes? We were imagining a new, yes, it's really beautiful over here. I wouldn't trade it, but it's also really difficult because we don't always know what to do, right? The same tricks don't work anymore. The same things we used to tell ourselves, they don't always help. And it can sometimes feel like we are adrift at sea, lost, untethered. And we can't live here. We can't live like this. We can't be so unsettled and then go out and participate in resurrection work and sustain it. We need solid ground. This is why it is so important that we connect with our God-given intuition, God in us, God in you, God in me, spirit of God living and active in each of our lives because it is our intuition that tells us how best to connect to the divine. It isn't a preacher or pastor or teacher or book. There isn't a formula. It's our own spirit-filled intuition that will tell us in any given moment and in any given season how we need to proceed. And I think about when we do our deeper looks each week and a lot of people tend to get anxious over that last question. 
what are you especially passionate about in your spiritual life? And it's triggering for a lot of people because I think it reminds us of all those times when we were expected to offer a formulaic Sunday school type answer. And we don't like that around here. <laughs> Why? Because our intuitions have been activated. Our intuition has been activated in ways we didn't even know possible. And Sunday school answers don't help us anymore. And I think a lot of us are in this place spiritually where we often feel parched or confounded or possibly even done. But I think the answer for us is not to disconnect or back off or give up, but actually to go deeper. We go deeper into our spirit practice. And the thing is, I can't tell you what that looks like for you. That's another thing that's different on the other side of deconstruction and going to a church that embraces it. We don't tell you what to do. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I would just literally be making stuff up if I did. <laughs> but I can say that I bet you already have an idea of what you need right now. And whatever it is, and how's this for paradox? You need to go all in on that and you need to hold it lightly <laughs> because you are a living, breathing person and living, breathing things change. They grow, they evolve. So you hold the practices that you need right now lightly because you need what you need now will not be a one size fit all formula that serves you for the rest of your life. This is why we find solid ground in consistent faith practice. We ground ourselves. In Psalm 23, it's an example of spirit groundedness. What else could lead a person to believe in a present-oriented divine provision and to declare divine abundance over the future, all in one breath, over the rest of his life? I need nothing more. I'm guided. My soul's refreshed. I have courage. You spread a table for me in the presence of my enemies for all of my life. What gall? Like, it's almost annoying. <laughs> but you know what? A table of abundance is set for us, too. Even in the thick of our realities, the psalmist speaks of abundance in the midst of shadows of death and enemies. And we know about this in our lives, too. Every week we speak about it here. When we acknowledge our circumstances, when we make room for our trauma, when we speak of the systems of violence that perpetuate suffering within us and around us, we are calling out the shadows of death in our time. And even in the thick of our realities, a table of abundance is set for us. But how do we get to a place where our both and theology moves from our heads and into our skin, into our bodies? In this same way, what would compel a person to believe with the same brazen assurance as the psalmist? And I would say a person who believes they are held, a person who is grounded in deeper truth, a person whose faith is not reactionary or based on whatever chaotic thing happens next, but a person who exists in their fullness, a person who understands who they are, that they are anointed a person who understands their claim and takes up their seat at the fancy table with the fancy spread. Let's just call it brunch. <laughs> we are anointed. We belong to God. We're children of God. And we were born to exist in our fullness as our birthright. 
And we need to believe that. So I've been taking these energy work courses for several months now. Brittany introduced me to them. She has referenced them several times in all, in all her sermons. And they're taught by this amazing teacher, Miriam Hasna. And I took this course some, some time ago that talked specifically about energetic boundaries. And it's a lot to try and break down in this small space. And, and I'm still learning, but in a nutshell, she was teaching about how you can set your own boundaries that enable you to stay in touch with yourself and your truth. And from this place, you are not so prone to absorbing the unneeded or unwanted energy of others. So you begin to operate in a place of good health and peace consistently. And something that she said about this really stuck with me. She said something like, now when others come at me within their dishealth or in their toxicity or negativity or any type of energy where they're trying to place something that's theirs upon me without my consent, I'm good because I have my energetic boundaries already in place. And so I'm like, you can come at me all you want, but you cannot synthesize with me. You can't synthesize with me. And I really love this so much because, well, for one, it's helpful, but it's not a reactive posture at all. It's not even an attempt at self-protection. It's really just creating a safe place to stay grounded so that we are not so easily up, up affected by people or unexpected circumstances or chaotic current events to the point where we lose touch with who we are to the point where we get disconnected from our truth, right? And so what's so funny and why I'm sharing this is because when I read Psalm 23 and I got to the end, I was like, wait a minute, this dude is setting up his energetic boundaries. <laughs> He's over here saying, I've got enemies all the way to shadows of death around here, but nah, it's goodness and love for me. Only goodness and love will follow me all day, every day. I choose goodness and love. David is over here setting up his energetic boundaries, y'all. <laughs> like literally a foundation, four walls and a roof. <laughs> he says, I'm choosing to dwell in the house of God. And what does a house do? It holds us. And so I'm saying, yeah, there's an element of faith. Yeah, there's an element of surrender. And also to some extent, we have to decide to build our house. And we can choose where we dwell. We're rich, y'all. <laughs> we have the whole table set for us. <laughs> we can choose where we dwell. And we can actually decide to be held by goodness and love. And maybe the abundance in Psalm 23 is about the full range of divine resources available to a child of God, meaning us. And so, yeah, sure, we cannot know what's going to happen. We can't control our circumstances and we can't single-handedly dismantle domination systems in a day, but we can choose to stay grounded in the truth of who we are. And in doing so, in tending to our spirit work, we can choose to set a foundation for ourselves that will open our eyes to our cups overflowing, even in the midst of shadows of death in our lives and in our time. This Psalm 23 work is good work. It is resurrection work. And guess what? We are resurrection people. We are Easter people. And this work will inevitably lead us to the outer work, like we see in our lectionary reading from Acts.
books. All these readings are really connected. Where Peter, spirit-fueled, acts out against convention and boldly speaks truth to power. And we all know how Peter is, right? I mean, have y'all read the Gospels? <laughs> We're like, SMH, Peter. <laughs> SMH. <laughs> because he's so utterly human. And yet here he is in Acts, finally getting something right. Finally at a place where he's operating out of the fullness of his Imago Dei and being a whole prophet. <laughs> it's almost as if he put some time in behind closed doors. And we need to make sure we're doing the same. We need to put in our time too. Especially because the last year shook us up, right? In ways we haven't even processed yet. Our realities have gotten so tangled up with the caricature of reality presented to us on social media. And the thing is, we didn't even have much of a choice, right? We needed more time online, more time on our screens in order to experience almost any form of connection for a year. In many ways, those forms of connection are here to stay. So even as we begin transitioning back to lives less isolated, more in person, we have to acknowledge that a collective shift is happening again. And our response, not our reaction, our response should be to get our homes in order as needed, to do some personal reassessing and reposturing. This is called grounding ourselves in spirit work. And if you don't know exactly where to begin, start here. Tap into your joy. Tap into your joy. Tap into your fulfillment. Tap into your body and what it's telling you in any given moment and honor it. When you do this, you will tap even deeper into your intuition. You will step deeper into the truth of your Imago Dei. And from this place, you will be reminded of your identity as an image bearer. As a child of God, you will be empowered here to believe without proof, to believe without the need for permission, to believe even amidst the many up upheavals of life, to believe just because. <laughs> and through this belief, you will realize you've had access to your own sacred intuition all along. And you will know it's true, what I've been saying. You, my friend, are held. <laughs>